scripture this morning is Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Thank you, Cindy. Hope you guys are enjoying those coffee cards. She at one point said, hey, I think there's a lot of January birthdays. I'm like, are there, though? Are there? <laughs> it's like, hey, get a coffee card. Um, welcome. So glad you guys could join us, whether you're joining us online or, or here in person. We're glad you could be here today. Uh, today, we're continuing in our series, look, going through the book of Luke for a very timely word, at least it seems to me, because the Bible loves to use the metaphor for challenging times in our lives or challenging circumstances. It loves to use the metaphor of storms. And I just think that, you know, it's, it's very timely because we're in the middle of a storm. I mean, as a society, uh, any number of storms have been hitting us over the last few years. Uh, on the personal level, any number of storms I know are hitting you. I mean, even before today's uh, gathering, just getting in a conversation with about three or four of you, hearing in some form or another, there's, you're, you're facing a storm of some sort. Whether it has to do with a health issue that you're facing or someone in your family is facing, whether it has to do with a relationship, whether it has to do with your career or future outlook, there are a lot of storms to be had right now. And so we need to understand how can we navigate them? How can we weather them? By the way, if you're here today and you're not in the middle of a storm, that's awesome. Very grateful for those times. But it's just to say that storms will come. So we need to be thinking about these, thoughtful about these things. And here in this text today, this, uh, this reminder of a story of Jesus out there on the Sea of Galilee, we see how we can face storms ourselves. Jesus gives us these clear, just really practical teachings on how to face life storms. So let's pray, and then we'll jump right in. Father, I do want to pray for those, especially in the midst of life storms right now, that you would draw them near to you, that you would comfort them, that you would, you would deliver them. But most of all, I pray that you would have uh, them see and understand what it is you're doing in the midst of it all. I pray that for them, for all of us, that you'd give us your spirit as we look at your word today, this timeless truth that can speak to us even in the midst of our storms. We love you, Father. We thank you for times like these. We dedicate it to you and ask you to meet us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke tells us in verse 22, one day Jesus said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. This, of course, was a reference to the Sea of Galilee, a very uh, famous uh, lake over there that's roughly seven by nine miles. It's a very beautiful uh, lake to, to look at. Uh, and if you look at it from its heights, you'll, you'll notice that it has a rough shape of a heart which seems to suggest where it got its Hebrew name. We don't know for sure, but its Hebrew name is Lake Kinnereth, and Kinnereth in Hebrew means harp. So it's, it's this lake that looks like a harp. It's about seven by nine miles wide, and Jesus spent much of his time along the shore going around the sea doing his ministry there. And every so often what he would do with his disciples is have them, some of them being professional fishermen themselves, prepare a boat so that they could go across the sea either to get away from the crowds or more likely than not to just 
cut down on travel time. They would, they would prepare a boat and go across, as, as Jesus has them do here. So he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. Now, the Sea of Galilee is nestled about actually 700 feet below uh, sea level. Between, on the west side, you have these rolling hills, and on the east side, you have these real steep mountainous banks that just shoot up. In fact, Mount Hermon is about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee and reaches a peak of about 10,000 feet high. And so there's a, there's a mixture that'll happen there between the cold air of the mountainous region and the hot air rising from this lake that can create these sudden and violent storms. Uh, they happen there today, actually, but we are obviously uh, very blessed to have modern-day you know, weather satellites and, by the way, boats that can get off the lake much more quickly if you're caught out there. Um, but that's what these guys were, were caught in, in the middle of a storm. And in fact, Luke, who has kind of a, a great attention to detail among the gospel uh, writers, calls out the fact that this wasn't just a storm. He says that it was a, a squall. So it's a really scary thing. Verse 24, the disciples went and woke Jesus saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. So clearly they're scared out of their minds. They often didn't refer to Jesus as Master. And so you can just hear it in their tone. Things are just like they're on edge. And of course, the low-hanging fruit of a thought here is if these professional fishermen were thinking they're getting ready to drown, uh, they were in very, very scary situations. Uh, this uh, it reminds me of a time when I myself was caught in the middle of a storm. Uh, growing up in San Diego when I was a little guy, my family would, uh, my parents would take us kids out to Catalina Island. For those of you guys who know, on the, the Southern California coast, there's that little island that would take us about 16 hours uh, going at about five, six knots to get across from San Diego to Avalon Harbor uh, in our 24-foot Yamaha sailboat. It took forever. It was a lot of fun, though. The journey was part of the, the deal. But one time, we were getting close to Avalon Harbor. We could see it. We were just a ways out, which meant we were still a few hours out, actually, at that speed. <laughs> it was like we could see Avalon Harbor. The, the sun had set, so it had already gotten dark, and the, the, the wind was picking up. The waves were picking up, and I could tell by the tone in my dad's voice that uh, this was a bit of a, a concerning situation. And sure, sure enough, before long, uh, the swells of the waves were just massive, such that you could only see the harbor when you came up to the, the crest, and then you fell back down into the, the, the valley of the swell, and then you could see it again. Uh, my dad went into survival mode, sending the kids down into the cabin. Uh, there's no seatbelts on boats, obviously, so you're just hanging on, and you're hoping things don't fall onto you. Even though these boats are prepared for such things, things when they get this bad will start to fall over and that, that sort of thing. My dad latched himself using a line to the boat in case he were to fall over, uh, overboard to give us a fighting chance to bring him on. Not really. I mean, it was a scary situation. He was out there, you know, with the propeller, you know, having us on a line on tack to get to the harbor. And yet with every swell, he'd, he'd pitch the bow back into the waves such that it wouldn't hopefully capsize the boat. That's the kind of storm we were in. It was scary. And yet that was a mild storm compared to the one these guys were in. These guys were facing. Uh, these guys were facing some, some scary times. And I think it's a wonderful, well, wonderfully helpful uh, metaphor for us to consider life storms because sometimes life storms can get really intense. They can get really scary and we can not know what to do, not really know what, what, how to go about it. Well, this text gives us some ways in which, some lessons for how we can face life storms. And the first thought here we have, the first lesson, 
is a straightforward one, and that is to say storms will come, okay? We need to understand that storms will come because how do they end up in this storm? But at the mere suggestion that they cross the sea and go to the other side. Hey, let us go to the other side of the lake. That just mere casual suggestion landed them straight into the middle of a storm. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower. When Jesus taught about the different types of soil, he, talks about, he talked about how uh, the farmer casts seed, which is meant to be God's word, and we can receive it differently. Well, at one point, he said, take care, especially young Christians, those who are new to the faith, take care not to be like the soil on rocky ground. He said, because what happens with, with such people is that when the seed or the word of God falls on them, they, they might receive it with joy at once, but quote, in the time of testing, end quote, they fall away. Uh, think about that language there. Jesus did not say, for if the time of testing comes, you might fall away. He talked about it as if it were a given. We need to be real careful if you're a follower of Jesus, or you just need to understand if you're looking into the faith to understand what Jesus is talking about, what the promises are, what, what the implications mean. We, need to, we, we cannot fall into the false belief that putting our faith in Jesus means we are completely free of the storms of life, that things will become easy, that the sufferings or the hardship or the challenges of life will just fall away. There's no promise there to say that. And in fact, new believers need to understand that. People are checking out the faith need to understand that. But so too do longtime followers of Jesus need to understand that. What do I mean? Well, I can just speak from personal experience that there's been times in my life, including over the last few years, where I've kind of like known that the Bible teaches storms will come. I kind of, I know it intellectually, but functionally speaking, I'm not necessarily living from that, if that makes sense. Now, there's been times where, for instance, my health has just kind of gone south real quick in scary ways or different, you know, uncertainties have hit me all at once. And my response in those times are not like, okay, storms will come. I'll see how this goes. Okay. But rather, God, don't you see that I'm drowning? And I realize in those times what the disciples were learning, by the way, in Luke chapter 8, not Luke chapter 2 or 3 or 4 when they first started to get to know Jesus, after they'd been following him for a while, needed to learn. And that is that storms will come. One of these disciples went on to write to uh, the early church in the midst of just some scary, you and talk about life storms, the scariest kind. After Jesus would die on the cross and rise again, go back into heaven, uh, the, the, the early church, not too long after that, began to face real persecution. We're talking to the point of being killed for professing faith in Jesus. And one of these disciples, Peter, wrote to the church in those times, and, and here's what he said in 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Do not be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. It seems to me that half the battle in the life storms that we face is just understanding that they're going to come. Not being surprised by them, not being thrown by them, but if you will, putting down a little anchor to understand that, okay, they're going to happen. We need to turn to the Lord. But what's more, following this thought, as we see as well from this text, that sometimes it's actually God who himself is leading you into the storm. Because notice, the person who said, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake, wasn't just, you know, one of the disciples. Peter didn't say, hey, we go to the other side of the lake, it'll cut down travel time. It was Jesus who said, let us go to the other side of this lake. 
Therefore, it was the Son of God who got them squarely in the middle of this very scary storm. What do we make of that? Sometimes God is the one who leads us into the storm. It seems to me that there comes times when we wonder, what did I do to deserve these circumstances? I wonder if that's you. If you're ever in the middle of a life storm, sometimes I'll wonder, what did I do to deserve this? And you know, to be clear, there are times that our own actions, that our own choices end us up in the middle of a storm, okay? That, that happens. But even when that is the case, it's not always necessarily the case, but even when that is the case, God is ultimately the one allowing that storm to happen. But the great promise of the scriptures is he will only ever allow it or even, in fact, lead you into it for your good. Uh, we can always understand that he is working things out for good, and sometimes there might be a lesson involved. And that was very much the case here for the disciples, right? Because after this scary situation, we see that they had learned from these times with Jesus out on the lake and other times out doing ministry with him. For instance, I just talked about how Peter himself would go on later to lead the church and help them through scary life storms. Where did he learn to do that? But through times like these in the storm, he had gone through storms with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee to, uh, to end up in a place where he could not only himself learn to go through storms, but be equipped to help others through storms themselves. Clearly, Jesus was using this occasion as a lesson to teach his disciples, because in verse 24, it goes on to say, he got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Clearly, even though the disciples didn't understand all that was going on, why it was happening, what purpose it might serve, they were not in the least concerned by any such things. Jesus was concerned exclusively about those things, wanting to meet them there and use this as a very deliberate teaching moment for them. He wanted to equip them. He wanted to build them up. And the scriptures talk about this, that sometimes God will use storms to strengthen us, or sometimes, as Hebrews 12 talks about, to discipline us. Our little 10-year-old is uh, playing basketball. He's been playing basketball for a number of years now, but now at age 10, the level of competition is finally caught up that he has to be in good shape in order to play. I mean, once you get to a certain level, the other team's going to run circles around you, or even on your own team, you're not going to get any playing time because you're tired, you're going to get pulled out. And he has a really good coach who understands these things and is really like whipping them into shape. And he has to run these lines. Uh, you guys know what lines are in basketball? It's where you line up everybody on the team on one side of the court, and you first run to the free throw line and back, then you run to the half court line and back, then you run to the opposing side free throw and back, then you run the full length and back. That is one line. And your coach will almost always say, go run three lines. Go run five lines. And what my son doesn't know at 10 years old is soon that'll mean you have to do it in a set period of time. And if you don't do it in that set period of time, just one of your teammates doesn't do it in the set period of time, you got to all do it again and make that first time, which means you're tired and you have to run fast. You, you get the whole idea. It's like this torturous exercise. It is wonderful. It is so good for my son. I'm so happy that he's doing this. Not because I'm sadistic, okay? But it's so good for him. Not just on the court, which that's great. I mean, he's learning to be a better basketball player, get in shape so he can get playing time and all that sort of stuff. It's so good for him beyond that. How so? Well, before the season started, my son, I love him to death. He just would complain about the smallest of things. Daddy, my, or my foot hurts. I don't know if I can go play today. I don't know if I can. And, and you know, he'd complain in these, like, kind of minor ways, and we'd check up on him, make sure it wasn't anything of, of real concern. And when it proved not to be, we'd kind of say, 
come on, man. <laughs> it's like, come on. And I was just thinking in the back of my head, I mean, you know, I'm over here like trying to think about him and try to help him along. I can't as a dad be like, son, go run lines. I mean, I guess I could, but I'm not going to do that, right? But now he's running lines. And I'll tell you, on this side of running lines, he's not complaining about his foot anymore. He's not complaining about these little things. He's, he's now going to school, and on the days that he has to run the mile time for P.E., he's no longer saying, oh, I hate it. He's now saying, Daddy, guess what time I got today? But even beyond the physical side of it, he's just holding himself with more confidence. I mean, you guys get it. That's what we're talking about. Sometimes God uses storms. Sometimes he'll lead you directly into a storm for your good. You might not see it or have all the pieces together to go, oh, this is why he's doing it. But you can know that he's there. He's working for your good. That He can be trusted. You can take heart, in other words, in the midst of the storm. If you're with him, if you have put your faith in you, you can take in heart because sometimes he'll use these storms for, well, he's always going to use it for your good, but to shape you to strengthen you, to equip you. By the way, sometimes not even for yourself, but for others through you. The next thought we see is that God will always be with you in the storm. I find it almost comical, this detail here, that Jesus was asleep and had to be woken up. Uh, don't you find that kind of comical? I mean, for starters, it, it shows us a little bit about his humanity, right? I mean, if there's a theological statement that theologians kind of worked with, is that Jesus is fully uh, God and fully human. Well, here we see actually in the story both very clearly. But in this moment where he's asleep, he's, you see really the fullness of his humanity. He's tired. And you don't have to look at all these other stories we've been looking at leading up to this to know why he was tired, spending all his time with people, investing in them, teaching them all. Here he is tired to the point of like not even being like having the energy to get up for a storm. I mean, he's just tired. But it's kind of comical, right? There's this storm going on, and these disciples are like, Jesus, you got to wake up. There's a storm. We're going to drown. By the way, that word they used where included him. Jesus, don't you want to not drown? We've kind of been working for something that's kind of important here. If you study the Bible for a long period of time, you'll start to see more and more that if it's God's word, he doesn't just leave little details in there for just like happenstance or, or like random. It doesn't really lead to anything. And it seems to me this is one of those details of Jesus falling asleep that has to be in there with purpose. Why would it otherwise be included? And it seems to me the thought must be, even in the midst of life storms, when it seems like God is asleep, he's not asleep. Even when it seems like God is not there with you in the midst of your storm, he's there. Do you ever feel like you're in the middle of a storm and it seems like God is asleep? He's not. He's there. Listen to Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. But David... What about those times when it really does feel like he's asleep? What then? It seems to me that the Psalms in that regard are also just a treasure trove of wisdom. Because even when it seems like he's asleep, he's not asleep. And the Psalms, Psalmists wrestled with this very thought. I mean, if you read through the Psalms, first of all, if you read through them and you, you come at it from a skeptical eye or even non-skeptical eye, you might read this and be like, how is that in the Bible? Because there's plenty of times where the Psalmist goes, God, where are you? Like, have you abandoned me? Like, where are you in the midst of this storm, so to speak? And yet, invariably, in these same psalms, the psalmist will go on to say, yet I know you are with me. Yet I know I can place my trust in you. Yet I will wait on you. Yet 
God, are you my refuge and my salvation? Now, what's going on there? I mean, we're talking in the very same psalm. The psalmist will say, where are you at? And there you are. How do I deal with this? I'm drowning too. I know I'm perfectly safe and I'm strong in you. The psalmists are showing you and me how we can face storms when it seems like God is asleep because we can know that he's not asleep. He's there. He's with us. And how did the psalm deal with that? The psalmists often preached this very thought to their own heart. I mean, sometimes they straight up say, oh, my soul, know that you can trust God. They would preach to their own heart. So if you're in the midst of a storm or you find yourself in the midst of a storm, can you tell your, your soul, can you say, I know, I see the raging sea. I see the winds, I see the, the waves, but yet I know I can trust God. Yet I know that you're my refuge, that you're my salvation. He can, he can, he, we can know that he is with us in the storm. Last thought, and I think this is really the main point of this whole kind of story, this whole text, and that is God can always be trusted in the storm. No matter the storm, God can be trusted always. But how can that be? How can we know that to be true? Look, what's clear from even a cursory reading of this text is the climax of the story is not Jesus calming the storm. Wouldn't you say? Jesus gets up and he's like, it's like ain't no thing to him. Like, all right, he rebukes the winds. Like, all right, deal with it. The climax of the story is when he brings things to a head with his disciples and said, where is your faith? That's really where the story's going. Because think about it from Jesus' point of view. If you're the son of God, which by the way, the scriptures teach, you're the one who holds all things together by the power of your word. You're the one who brought everything into being. You created these winds and waves. Calming a little squall in the, in the Sea of Galilee, if I could say it that way, wouldn't have been a thing to you. Wouldn't have been a concern. Wasn't an issue. What was the issue? The issue was, would your disciples put their faith in you? Jesus was concerned about their faith. He wasn't concerned about this issue. The disciples were amazed. We're told in verse 25, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. That's to say the disciples were blown away by what just happened. I mean, we all would, right, if we were in that situation. They're saying, it's a miracle. Can you believe it? This is incredible. Who is this guy? But you know what? As incredible of a miracle as that was, seeing the sea of Galilee, that storm there calmed, it didn't come close to matching or comparing to the ultimate storm that Jesus came to calm for you and me. Because on the cross, Jesus calmed an infinitely greater storm than they faced that day. And frankly, an infinitely greater storm than any storm you or I could face today. What do we mean? Well, the gospel or good news of Jesus is that God created us to be in a relationship with him be in a perfect relationship with him. He loves us. He cares for us. But we all each in our own way chose to say, you know what, God, you and your ways, I don't need that. And we do that regularly, rejecting him, rejecting his ways. And if you want to extend the metaphor that we're using here today, it's as if we've been at our own doing tossed out in the middle of the sea or the wind, just apart from our creator, the lover of our souls. We're just out in the middle of the sea, just flailing around the wind and waves. And we're just like, okay. But God didn't want to leave us there. Leave us in the midst of the storm. But he sent his son into the world. And not just to teach us, not just to care for us, as you can read about on all these pages about his life and ministry, but ultimately to go to the cross to deal with the storm that rages against our souls. When Jesus went to the cross, we're told the detail that the storm, like, that the clouds darkened around him. What's going on there? He was facing the storm of storms. 
he was facing the storm of storms, and that is the penalty of separation that we deserved when we rejected him and rejected his ways. And in so doing that, he brought us back into relationship if we receive him by faith. Forgiveness of sins. And because he rose again on the third day, we can receive life eternal with him. Which means if he dealt with that storm, the storm of being separated from God, if he dealt with that storm, there's no storm, whether it's on the Sea of Galilee or in your career or even death itself, which we'll all face unless the Lord comes back sooner. Not even death itself, the worst storm of all, can impact us because that storm will only be used to bring us into a greater and stronger place ultimately with him forever. This is the incredible promise of God that he has dealt with the storm that each and every one of us will face, which means we might not understand how he's working in whatever storm we're in right now. It might not work out the way that if we were writing the script, it would, it would go this way or that, but we can understand that it is good. He's going to use it for good, and he can be trusted. Who is this that can command even the winds and waves obey him? It's the one who went to the cross for you and for me. And if he did that, you and I, we can take heart no matter what storm you're in right now. You can know with certainty that he is with you and that he is for you and that he's working out for good. The question is, where is your faith? Let's pray. As the, as the band begins to make their way up and as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want to give you the opportunity, if you're here today, and you've never received Jesus, you've never begun a relationship with him, receive what he did for you on the cross. The scriptures say, for all who believe in him, all who receive him, will have the right to become children of God. He will bring you into a forever relationship with him. And I want to just give you an opportunity. If that's you here today, you can raise your hand. I will see it. I will pray for you. But more importantly, God will see what's going on in your heart, that you want to receive him. And he'll receive you. If that's you today, I want to give you the opportunity. You can raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Just another moment. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you entered into this world, not just to be with us, but to walk through the storms with us. But what's more than that, to deal with the storm that we all face, the greatest storm that, that would have drowned us, when the disciples cried out, Master, Master, who's going to drown us? It wasn't ultimately going to drown us. But you were on the cross in a, in, a, in a way, drowned for us, being separated from your heavenly Father, such that we never would be. And one of the wonderful implications of that is just to know, really know, that you are always with us, no matter what we're facing. And that you really are for our good. Even if we don't see it, Lord, if you did that for us. So we give you praise. Thank, thank you that you sent the one who could calm the, the waves and the wind was also sent to the cross to die for us. Thank you that we could put our trust in him, that he's our refuge, that he's our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name.